When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 244, and we are recording on August 10th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Rincey Abraham, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello! Hi, Amanda. How are you? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking about the tornado warnings that were happening in Rincey's neighborhood, so... Yeah, it's, so you know, usual 2020 stuff. (laughs) Right? Oh, such a mood. Such a mood. So for those of you who don't know, Rincey is one of the co-hosts of Red or Dead, which is our uh, mystery thriller podcast, which I think has got a pre-roll to this show. So you probably just heard me talking about it or Jen, because I don't remember who reads the ads for this week. And so Rincey, could you tell them like just a little bit about what your show is like and what y'all talk about? Yes. So I co-host with Katie McLean Horner, and it's a podcast all about mysteries and thrillers and all of these sort of related books and topics. We usually have like a theme or a topic for every week. So Katie and I'll pick a book based on those themes. We recently did one based on locked room mysteries because Mm. one of our listeners had a suggestion of being like, hey, since none of us can leave our homes or (laughs) shouldn't be leaving our homes, I should say. Why not do one based on like locked room mysteries, things like that. The episode that's coming out this Friday as of whenever this drops, we are doing an episode based on like cold cases because Katie's been watching a lot of like the Unsolved Mysteries episodes on Netflix and things like that. So that's sort of the vibe we go for where either we'll take listener suggestions of themes or topics. Sometimes we'll like do author spotlights and things along those lines. But for the most part, we kind of just like pick general topics and then read some books for it. And then we'll talk about general like news related things in the mystery thriller world as well. So yeah, if you enjoy mysteries, thrillers, true crime, suspense, any of those things will definitely be the podcast for you. Katie was my uh, co-host for this most recent episode of Remixed. Which for those of you who don't know, we have an insiders program, which is like our, you know, insider subscription program. You've heard ads for it on the show before, like our digital community for Book Riot folks. And one of the exclusive podcasts that we put up for insiders is Remixed, where different hosts from different shows get together and just talk about whatever. And so we did an episode about TV, like TV that we've been, you know, marathoning in quarantine. And mine were all like, The Babysitter's Club, this weird show about old houses. And Katie was like, Unsolved Mysteries, Hannibal. It's like death, death, death. <laughs> and it was very like, that's on brand. <laughs> yeah, we have like a running theme about like how Katie will always find the darkest, most demented book possible related to whatever theme we're doing. Like she will never pick the cozy mysteries unless we're doing specifically cozy mysteries. And she'll never like any of that stuff. But then we kind of like balance each other out. Not that I like only read the light and fluffy, but I she definitely mm-hmm. has like tolerance for stuff that I cannot handle. <laughs> she does. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Well, it's great to have that balance on the show. For sure. 
So y'all go check that out. Red or dead. It's R-E-A-D or dead like red, like you read the book. Get it? You get it. Okay. So let's talk about Get Booked, how this show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading recommendation for yourself or maybe your book club or you need a gift for someone or whatever, we answer any and all of those requests. So you can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can use the form that's in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please note that uh, in your subject line if you're using the email. If you are using the form, just put it in big letters in the first line so we can get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to it on time or if we have already answered your question on the show. So we don't have any feedback for this week, so we're just going to get right into it. I'm going to read our first question, then we will hear from our first sponsor, and then away we'll go. Okay, our first question is from Anna, who says, I recently got a new job at a tech startup after being in a somewhat horrible job situation. The problem is I'm new to technology, the startup life, and the business side of things. I worked in retail previously, and I'm feeling overwhelmed and behind in terms of culture and lingo. Do you have any suggestions for business reads for this fiction-focused person looking to expand her horizons and build a place for herself in this new culture? I've already read Radical Candor and Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, along with Erin Meyer's The Culture Map. I'm most interested in books by women, but will take a look at recommendations that you truly believe are worth my time and attention. I tend to struggle with nonfiction, so easily accessible and engrossing options are appreciated. Okay, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right. So businessy books for someone new to the tech world and the startup life. Uh, Rincey, do you want to go first? Sure. 
So the book that I picked was The Making of a Manager, What to Do When Everyone Looks to You by Julie Zhu. You didn't specifically say that you became a manager, but uh, Julie Zhu was the vice president of product design at Facebook. And so I feel like this would still be applicable for the work situation that you're in because it's still that sort of like techie world that she's talking to. And uh, she specifically became a manager at the age of 25 and basically wasn't really sure what to do because, you know, that's pretty young to become a manager. So she created this book based on her own experiences. And this is a book that's like extremely practical. Like you could basically create like a checklist of things you should and shouldn't be doing at your job in order to succeed. And again, this is all looking at things from a management point of view, but I think that it'll still provide you with a lot of good ideas like I'm sure like you probably even have some aspirations of becoming a manager one day potentially so this also could be helpful for that but it talks about things about like what to do on the first few months of your job how to develop trust with the people that you work with how to prepare for meetings best practices in terms of like communication with the people that you work for and work with and then also basic things about like self-awareness and getting over imposter syndrome and how to like create workspaces where you are like trusting the people that you are working with on a regular basis and creating a positive culture in the places that you work and things along those lines. So I feel like even though you may not be in a management position necessarily, uh, I feel like the things that she talks about are still pretty relevant in that sort of like corporate tech space. And since she is someone that, again, has a lot of experience in that world, I feel like she just has like really good practical applications, whether or not you are necessarily the person in management. And also this could like potentially give you ideas for suggestions for management, which would look great depending on your Mm -hmm. culture and how receptive they are to feedback. So I feel like this would just, again, be a really good one to pick up no matter what your position is. And again, that's called The Making of a Manager by Julie Zhu. All right. I picked No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work by Liz Fosling and Molly West Duffy. And this came out pretty recently. It came out in 2019. And it was kind of pitched to me as like the business feelings book by and for millennials, which was very relevant to my interests. And it is uh, by two women, obviously, who are in, uh, I think they're both in the tech world. I don't remember what their companies they work for. Um, Molly West Duffy is an illustrator. And so I picked this one in part because it is very accessible, which you were you were asking for specifically, because there's a lot of like really fun and relatable illustrations throughout the book. But it is very much about managing your feelings in the workplace. And it is not like an old school business book, which would be, you know, telling you to kind of suck it up and act basically act like a man to get through your work day. This is more about how to handle your own feelings and also the feelings of the people around you, which feelings are appropriate to express in a business setting in which maybe are not how to manage the un- the inappropriate feelings when you have them because like those are going to come up you know I feel like a lot of people especially if you've worked in retail have stories about like crying on the job you know maybe even more so in retail than in a you know, traditional tech or startup or business kind of world because that job is hard I definitely cried more working in retail than like any other job I've ever had but you know the modern workplace can be very stressful very emotionally taxing and I think that when you're working in startups it can be even more so because those cultures are often really difficult to navigate and you have to get kind of used to them. Tech startups have especially have uh, reputations for being kind of bro-y, 
there aren't a lot of emotional boundaries. It's kind of hard to know how to fit in. And so coming into that job with a really like foundational understanding of what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate to express in the workplace and how to navigate that, like when your coworkers are maybe crossing those lines, I think would be really, really helpful, especially for someone who's not worked in it like an office setting or something like that before. Although I doubt you're in an office like physically right now, but who knows? So that's No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work by Liz Fosling and Molly Westuffy. All right. Question two is from D, who says it's August, which is basically September, which is basically autumn. <laughs> Look, don't steal my last month of summer. <laughs> but in light of this, I'm in a really specific reading mood. I'm looking for something that has the vibes you get watching Over the Garden Wall or Gilmore Girls, reading Anne of Green Gables or Shirley Jackson. Not necessarily spooky, but I do love spooky, but cozy and autumnal and makes you want to wrap yourself up in a blanket and sit in front of a fireplace or go to a pumpkin patch. Okay, Rincey, what you got? I ended up picking The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. And this on its surface might not seem like an obvious autumnal read, but I like really <laughs> latched on to the specific Gilmore Girls reference that you made because this book like gave me such strong Gilmore Girls vibes. So this book is following this pair of siblings called named Danny and Maeve. And it's set in like the suburbs of Philly and they come from like a very well-off family or a family that was originally very well-off. And they have this very opulent house in the suburbs of Philly that is called the Dutch house. And it's kind of like one of those houses that like people in the area know about it and will like drive by it and things along those lines. And in the house, there is like a portrait of Maeve, like an oil portrait. So, you know, that whole Gilmore Girls thing of that portrait of Rory in the house, things along those lines. I was like, oh, this is the vibe we're going for. So yes, I think that this would be a really good one for like a cozy fall read. Also, Tom Hanks narrates the audiobook. So I feel like that also has a very cozy autumnal feel to it. So you follow these siblings over the course of, I think it's like four or five decades, and you basically see them sort of like wrestling with their past. The story is mainly told through the point of view of Danny, who is the younger sibling of the two. And a lot of times he's just like recalling memories of things that happened in the family. And then as an adult, eventually realizing that his viewpoints as a kid growing up was not exactly everything that happened in the family. This is very much a character-driven story, and it's very sort of slow burn almost. So there will be points where you're just like, there is no real plot to this book. But I personally (laughs) was like, okay with it and down for it just because I found Danny and Maeve to be really compelling. Uh, They very much have that sort of like upper class, East Coast, kind of snobby, like you kind of want to punch them in the face, but you also kind of appreciate and know where they're coming from vibe to them, which I, again, very Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like this would be sort of like that perfect cozy read in that sense. So yeah, if you're looking for something with that Gilmore Girls vibe of like upper class East Coast dysfunctional family situation, then Dutch House by Ann Patchett is definitely it. (laughs) That is so on the nose. It's like, (laughs) yes, cosine, cosine. Okay, I picked Autumn by Ellie Smith, which might also be a little bit on the nose. I don't know. Um, Not in like a fun way. And it just it's very literally it's called Autumn. So Ellie Smith wrote this, what she calls the seasonal quartet, one book for every season. And they're they're kind of billed as the quintessential post-Brexit novels. Autumn, she wrote like four months after the Brexit vote. So she just really hammered this out. And it's about an old man named Daniel. He's like 100 years old, not like 100 years old. I think he's literally 100 years old. And a young woman named Elizabeth, who was his neighbor and was born in 1984, which I remember because I was also born in 1984. Uh, And the book goes back and forth between 
um, her childhood and her adulthood. So in her childhood, he was, of course, uh, in his 70s uh, as she was growing up. And he was very influential in teaching her how to be like an intellectual person, like ushered her into the art world. I think in the book she refers to his his art as like arty art, quote, you know, arty art. Ushers her into the art world, teaches her how to read critically. It's really just formational to her young life. Uh, he's kind of a father figure to her because her dad is gone and he is alone uh, in, in this world. And so and in the modern in like the present portions of the book, he is coming in and out of a coma and she visits him every day and reads to him. She's like in her 30s. And the book is one of these that's like about everything and nothing. Like it is about Brexit. It's about leaves falling in the autumn. It's about the art world. And he she like wraps up. Uh, one of the like a big scandal from the modern art world from the 60s into the book and it's very much about a couple of specific female modern artists but also about like friendship and this girl just sitting at an old man's bedside like it's one of those kinds of things that I think is like really hard to nail in fiction um, and literary fiction doesn't really well but these kind of shorter books you know it's like 250 pages that somehow manages to perfectly encapsulate the entirety of the human experience you know just no big deal nbd one of those sorts of things but it is very autumnal and i've not read i think i started winter and then did not finish it but i really really enjoyed this one i like a book that manages to be plotless almost but still keeps you engaged and it does feel very like putting on a blanket i thought so that's autumn by ellie smith Okay, question three is from Sherith, who says, I'm looking for recommendations for my dad. He enjoys reading, but doesn't always have a lot of free time for it. He likes action, sci-fi, and World War II stories. He's also a huge gun nut. Books I've bought for him in the past include Borrowed Time by Naomi Alderman and Birds in a Cage by Derek Neiman. He also enjoys comedy and humor. Okay, Rincey. All right, I went for the action, sci-fi, comedy, humor side of things, and I (laughs) am recommending... Picking up All Systems Red by Martha Wells, which is a novella and the first in the Murderbots series. And so if your father ends up liking this first one, which is very short, there's four novellas and now a full-length novel, which is the fifth in the series. So there's plenty for him to enjoy. The Murderbot Diaries focuses on basically like the self-aware AI, and it's known as a security unit, like its name is like sec unit or something along those lines, but it calls itself Murderbot because mm-hmm. of events that have occurred, which I won't spoil. Uh, but this bot has basically become extremely self-aware and like understands a lot more than uh, usual security units and other bots in this world do. And it is a really funny book. Like it's told completely from a first person perspective of Murderbot. And Murderbot is something that has to interact with other people a lot. And so a lot of the humor comes from it not understanding humans and human emotions and things along those lines. Uh, it really doesn't want to be like a security unit anymore. In the first book, there's this whole like running gag about it basically just wanting to watch uh, a bunch of television and like how it downloads a bunch of like soap operas basically onto its system. So that way it can watch it during its downtime and it doesn't really want to do all this stuff. And so it's really funny. I really enjoy Murderbot a lot. Uh, It's kind of just one of those uh, AI ideas where it's just like, what if a person was basically a robot or a robot was very close to a person? Like that line becomes very gray and you end up feeling a whole lot. And as the series goes on, you learn a lot about Murderbot's past and basically the things that it's been through. And it eventually gets like 
called to different missions and on different jobs and things along those lines. But it's a really fun series. And I think that, you know, as someone who enjoys a lot of like comedy and humor, and if you enjoy that in your sci-fi and action, then I think that the Murderbot series would be great. And again, the first book is called All Systems Red, and that's by Martha Walls. Okay, I just latched onto the World War II thing because I also read a lot of World War II books. And I picked The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, which is his newest book that came out in February about Winston Churchill. And it is what sets this one apart from other books about Churchill, because of course there are a floppity jillion books about Winston Churchill, is that this is about his daily life with his family during the Blitz. So there's a lot of, you know, very exciting, I'm not exciting, but like high stakes, action packed kind of discussions of Winston Churchill's daily life, like fighting the war, right? And defending Britain from this air invasion. But he also paints him, he doesn't, like, I feel like a lot of books about Churchill or biographies of Churchill try to make him out to be this, you know, grand hero, this kind of robot of a prime minister who defended Western civilization, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, he spent like a lot of time begging America for help and drinking his sorrows. And he was just a human person. Like he was a normal human guy who was put into this position that, you know, I mean, a lot rested on him performing well. And that's that's a lot of pressure. And Larson doesn't shy away from showing these kind of weaker moments of Churchill's life where he would spend hours on the phone with Roosevelt or hours with his aides writing one telegram. Like there's a scene where he sends a congratulatory telegram to Roosevelt after he's won one of his reelections. And just he just like frets about it for weeks and weeks and weeks because he never gets a response. And he's afraid that he's by sending this congratulatory telegram ruined England's chances somehow for ever getting aid from the US. And he just like can't stop chewing on it. And then the book also focuses on his daily life with his family, like I said. So you get a lot of pictures of his wife, Clementine, who is like a character, let me tell you. She insisted that they sleep in separate rooms and only let him come into her bedroom when she wanted a baby. Like, <laughs> Clementine for queen, right? That is just so hardcore. I love it. And then also Churchill's children, who kind of ran the gamut from like his son, Randolph, who was just uh, worthless, <laughs> like just like not not a great guy, and and his children or his daughters. Um, including Mary, who was his youngest daughter, who portions of her diary are in the book. And they're so, I don't even know, like whimsical almost because she was a teenager during the war, during the Blitz specifically, and had a really hard time kind of marrying the two ideas in her head of like, I'm a teenager, this is my youth, and I am not allowed to do anything because I'm the daughter of the prime minister. And if something terrible happens to me, obviously, you know, that would not be great. But she like wanted to go out and live her life and be carefree. But also all of these horrible things were happening to so many people. And she was like, super aware of it, you know, and in her diary, she has these really long ruminations on her privilege. And it's just really fascinating. So I prefer domestic history because I want to know like what actual human beings felt and did and like ate. There's so much in here about his like the bills he racked up with his food and his cigars and trying to entertain all these people, uh, these like really important diplomats as he was fighting this war. It's just so complicated and fascinating. And I, I read it on audio and uh, really like that. So if your dad is into audio, it's like dramatic, you know. So that's The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. All right. Question four is from Cecil, who says, I was wondering if you could recommend any thriller or mystery books where the internet plays a big role. Could involve the deep web, social media, code hunting, cybersecurity, anything where the crime or mystery revolves around cyberspaces. Please help a bored human fellow who misses Mr. Robot with their whole heart and soul. All right, Rincey, go ahead. I'm going to preface this by saying if you haven't read 
the girl with the dragon tattoo series mm-hmm. that should be like sort of like a default but i'm gonna just guess since that pop that series is you know immensely popular that you already have and also there's like new books still coming out in that series and so you know that's sort of like my default if you haven't read that that's my recommendation but the actual book that i'm going to talk about is little brother by cory doctorow now this is actually a book written for young adults. So I do have to preface it with that because I'm not sure how you feel about young adult books. But I actually read this book and was thoroughly surprised by how uh, pointed its commentary was. So you are following this character named Marcus, who's 17 years old, and he's basically like a hacker. He lives in what's basically a modern day world. Like the book came out in 2008, but the world feels very much the same. And he has laptops from his school which are obviously like heavily surveilled and he like you know hacks into them and breaks into them in order to be able to do his own thing they live in a world where like their movements are constantly tracked via like library books and things like that like they basically track the rsid codes on them to in order to know like where kids are going and if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time or something along those lines uh but he you know doesn't have any issues sort of like getting around all those systems But one day, um, he basically ditches school with his friends in order to uh, take part in basically this like online RPG thing that's happening. And when they've decided to leave, there is a terrorist attack in their city. And so they happen to be like right next to where the terrorist attack happens. And one of their friends gets really severely injured. And so they're trying to like flag down police or something like that in order to get help for their friend. But when someone stops and checks on them, they actually end up getting arrested. And so basically, they get apprehended for, I think it's about a week by the Department of Homeland Security. And like, you see scenes where they're like, actually being interrogated and things like that. And it's because like, the Department of Homeland Security has gone through their stuff and seen like all of these like hacker related technology in their bags, you know, they've seen the programs that they have on their computer and stuff like that. And so they start to think that they are actually the ones who are behind the terrorist attack. And they are held for about seven days where they're interrogated. They're eventually let go, but not all of them are actually released. And so because of that, Marcus has decided that he is going to try to take down basically the Department of Homeland Security, which, you know, is kind of outlandish and kind of insane. Uh, But also the ACLU just, you know, made a declaration that they want the DHS to uh, not exist anymore. So, you know, maybe not as crazy as it might sound. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like, even though this is a book written for teenagers, there are a couple of things that are like kind of heavy handed in the book. Um, And he goes to like great lengths to explain like computer things. So that way, like kids can understand the terms that he's using. So there is that aspect of it. But honestly, I found the book to be really compelling. I wanted to know whether or not Marcus was actually going to succeed at this because like part of it kind of seems possible. And I also wanted to know like what was going to happen to his friends and if like the DHS was tracking him and all this stuff. So I feel like this is like one of those books where it's like, kind of outlandish, but also not really that outlandish. And you can definitely tell like Corey Doctorow did his work in terms of like trying to figure out what is capable and what isn't capable. And even though it came out like a decade ago, it still feels very relevant. There's also a second book called Homeland, which I haven't read yet, but it also seems to deal with like similar topics. I think that one came out in like 2014 or something along those lines. So I think Again, this would be a really good series to pick up as someone who is a fan of Mr. Robot. So again, that is called Little Brother by Cory Doctorow. 
I was a giant question mark face on this one. So I went and asked the contributors and Liberty, who is, of course, the host of All the Books, which is our podcast about new releases that comes out every Tuesday, recommended The Dark Net by Benjamin Percy, which like it's in the title. Why did I not remember that this book exists? I don't know. I have no excuse. Anyway, so this is a book about, can you guess? Can you guess? It's about the dark net. So there's a woman named Leela who lives in Portland and she is a reporter. But she's also like a massive ludiate, like does not, she's a technophobe, doesn't know how to send an email, doesn't want to know how to send an email, not into technology or, you know, she's a very tinfoil hat kind of person. She has a dog named Hemingway. She writes for the Oregonian. And she has a niece whose name is Hannah. Hannah is 12 and is blind. And she has gotten fitted with something called the Mirage, which is like this experimental device that allows her to see. But when she's out in the world, she sees some people have like dark shadows around them. She doesn't understand what that's about. And there are also a couple of different characters, including one named Derek, who's like a cyber genius kind of hacker guy, very similar to like an anonymous kind of organization that he is involved in. And so Leela is investigating this company called Undertown, which has purchased an apartment building called the Rue Apartments that she can't find any information about about this company. And there's a murder scene where there are like red and bright hands around it. And it, it's like reminiscent of a, of a serial killer that like the guy is dead. The serial killer is dead. So it doesn't make any sense. And so all of these things start coming together. She's on the, like a construction, a construction site for this apartment complex, taking pictures of the people working there. She finds like a weirdly deformed skull. Like it's all very mystery, uh, mysterious and light, like lots of odd coincidences and that kind of thing. Uh, and so uh, as she starts putting these things together, these like dark forces in the world start to pursue her and all and she gets wrapped up with Derek the cyber genius and her niece gets involved and her sister Cheryl gets involved and eventually they end up like discovering that there's this kind of conspiracy to take over the world through the dark net which of course is similar to like the deep web I think that you asked about in your question you know that kind of hazy place where no one is tracked and where nefarious goings on occur so this book is a techno thriller but it's also a little bit of a fantasy novel and it's definitely got some horror elements so spooky 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 so that's the dark net by Benjamin Percy before we go into our next question, let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Nadia, who says, I wanted to ask for some recommendations for a thriller or mystery written by a woman of color. I wanted to read something captivating and well done that can be surprising, but not far fetched at the end. Some of my favorites are Murder on the Orient Express, Sharp Objects and Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn and Far From You by Tess Sharp. I did not like Final Girls by Riley Sager. Okay, Rinsey. So this is like literally my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I picked a lot of mystery questions for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like specifically like well-written mysteries by women of color, like find me on Twitter. Yes. I will send you like 20 more recommendations <laughs> after this episode comes out if you want. But I feel like I have to pick Attica Lock. Like I yell about how much I love Attica Lock all the time. So I feel like that has to be my recommendation. And the specific book that I'm going to tell you to read or recommend that you read is The Cutting Season, which is basically her standalone book that came out like kind of in the middle of her two series. So I think The Cutting Season is a good one to pick up because one, it's the one that the first one that I ever read and it got me hooked immediately. But also it's a standalone. So it kind of like gives you a taste of her writing style. And also, I think, it, you know, since it's kind of like in the middle of her two series, you get a taste for like her really good writing style, like her first series, like you could tell she's still getting her feet and all that stuff. But this book takes place in New Orleans, or right outside New Orleans. And you are following this woman named Karen, who is basically a manager at this like historic plantation, which obviously now is being used as like a place where people come and do tours and you know, they hold events there and all of that stuff. And so she's like walking around the grounds at the beginning of the book, and she notices some like dirt that's been sort of dug up. And you know, this is pretty common, she thinks it might be an animal or something like that. So she tells the gardener to go like kind of clean it up. And then the gardener comes back and basically tells her that it's not just like a typical animal being dug up. There's actually like a dead body here. So obviously this begins a whole police uh, investigation. And there's also like a person on the staff who no one can find. And so they don't know if like this body is that person and all of that stuff, or if there's something else going on. But uh, basically, this is a book that is both a mystery, but it also does this really great exploration of like modern life in the American South. Obviously, this taking place on a plantation, there are a lot of sort of like racial tensions at play. And that's also just something that Attica Locke does really well. Like she weaves these sort of racial tensions into her mysteries without it being like 
super heavy handed. She just talks about them in a very honest way and especially from a black person's perspective and what it's like to be around these sort of monuments and things like that that also have like such terrible histories and like have such implications in your own like family's life and things along those lines. This book came out in 2012, and so there's like a lot of commentary about how uh, the United States, at least at that time, thought of itself as being like post-racial and things along those lines. So there's commentary along that. But I mean, in and of itself, this is like a very atmospheric, well-written series. And I think that like once you read this one, jump into the rest of her books, but like all of her books are so well-written. And so like, I feel like they hook you really quick. So again, that's called The Cutting Season by Attica Locke. All right. I picked Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, which I'm going to give a few trigger warnings for here uh, for harm to children and sexual abuse of children. So this is a mystery. It's also like a what you call it? Do 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 do. What's the word? Courtroom. Hey, oh, this is a courtroom drama. So it takes place in a small town in Virginia. And it's about this group of people who come together because they are all part of this um, special treatment center. They take their children or themselves, depending on their conditions, to a hyperbaric chamber where they get, you know, they put a little oxygen helmet and then the pressure is removed. And it's an experimental treatment for a number of things. Some of them are there to fix their fertility issues. Some of them are there because they think that it's going to do something for their children who are autistic. Lots of different things. But in the day that this book kind of opens, there's an explosion. The chamber explodes. Two people die, including one of the children, who's I think an eight-year-old boy with autism. And it becomes very quickly clear that it was not an accident. One of the mothers is accused of the crime, is arrested, and is on trial. And so that's basically where you're where the book picks up. You are at her attending her trial, trying to figure out if she murdered her child and, you know, or attempted to murder everyone in the in the hyperbaric chamber or what happened. And so you go back like this look. Whoo, let me start over. I could not stop flipping sides. Like, she's such a convincing writer. Angie Kim is such a convincing writer that when the defense would get up and be like, obviously, she did not do it for this reason, this reason, this reason. I was like, right, obviously. Like, I am 100% on this mother's side. This makes so much sense. And then the prosecution would get up and be like, obviously, she is guilty for this reason, this reason, this reason. And I was like, 100%. That is exactly what happened. Correct. Like, I am the either best or worst audience for this kind of book because I'm so easily convinced of whatever is presented in front of me. I'm sure there's some kind of tech technical term for that sort of bi- recency bias, I think is what it is. But whatever's the last thing I heard is the thing that I'm like, 1000, that's it. But because of that, because she's so good at that, you get this like, just whiplash. So by the time you get to the end of the book, and you find out what actually happened, you are such a like, just stirred up tornado of feelings, you don't know who or what to believe, or what has happened. So no matter who you think did it, I think the ending will be a surprise to you. There's also a lot of really great discussions in here about the pressure that mothers face, specifically mothers of children with disabilities or children who are neurodivergent, not fathers, mothers specifically. And it's also expressed in the way that the the mother who is on trial is vilified and also in the ways that she is defended. So like, I don't want to get any more into it because it might be spoilery, but I read this in like a sitting, a sitting. So that's Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. Okay. Question six is from Nye, who says, I'm looking for a mystery slash suspense slash thriller with sex scenes. So long as there is not an imbalance of power, like boss, assistant, guard, prisoner, etc., I'd prefer a female detective and I'd really prefer a female author. Okay, Rincey, what you got? So I went with Fatal Affair by Marie Force, and this is the first book in like a 10 or 10 plus book series. So if you enjoy this one, there will be plenty for you to uh, dive into. In this book, you're following this Washington, D.C. detective named Sam Holland. It's a woman, though. 
And basically, she's just come back after like a really disastrous investigation. And her first call basically is to go to the senator's house who has been found brutally murdered in his bed. And so Sam's assigned to the case. And one of the people that's there is the senator's chief of staff, whose name is Nick. And things are kind of complicated because uh, Sam and Nick had a one night stand a really long time ago. And both of them still have always had like feelings for each other. I've always thought about that one night stand because they had really amazing chemistry. And so now Sam is like investigating what exactly happened to the senator while also trying to like manage her feelings because obviously like her feelings, she doesn't want her feelings to influence the case itself because, you know, the chief of staff might also be a suspect. And so she just basically like runs into this investigation and is also trying to manage everything, especially after having such a terrible investigation that she's just coming back from. So she can't really have like two terrible investigations back to back. Otherwise, you know, she's done for. And so yeah, this is like basically perfectly in the romantic suspense genre, which is a whole thing like JD Robb and all that stuff. I really enjoyed this book. I picked it up kind of because it has like a really cheesy cover or one of the editions is like a really cheesy cover. And I was like, this looks ridiculous. I have to read it. Um, But it kind of has like fun, like West Wingy type of vibes because it's set in Washington, D.C. I think that the two main characters had like really great chemistry. It is a little bit like insta lovey because you're like you had a one night stand like however many years ago. Is it very likely that you're still thinking about it? I mean, maybe, but it. I still like was completely convinced by their like sort of chemistry and their like event relationship and things like that. And so I think that this would be like really uh, great to pick up. It is steamy. So, you know, it'll have everything that you want. So I found this to be like a really fun romantic mystery book to pick up. So again, that is called Fatal Affair by Marie Force. Uh, this was another one that I had to take to the contributors for recommendations because I just big old hole in my reading life, I guess. So Tirza Price, who runs our YA uh, Instagram account and is also on the Read Harder podcast, recommended A Madness of Sunshine by Nalini Singh, who I have read. I love Nalini Singh. I haven't read this particular one, but it sounds, oh, it sounds really good. So this is about a woman named Anahara who is from New Zealand. She left New Zealand at 21. But she lived in a really tiny town. She grew up in poverty. There were a lot of just traumatizing things that happened in her childhood, including like some hikers that went missing and were never found. And it's all just kind of gross. So she leaves. Fast forward to eight years later, she's coming back. Her life that she made for herself outside of New Zealand has fallen apart. Like her husband has died. He was cheating on her. It's all terrible. So she comes back and the town has changed a bit. There's a bump in tourism. There's also like a nice new police presence, quotes in the nice. uh, It's called Golden Cove is the town where she lives. But to her, it feels very much the same. Like it's a little tiny settlement on the South Island on the West Coast. Lots of like jagged cliffs and crashing beach waves. And, you know, um, the scenery is very much like a a character. And then the other main character is Detective Will Gallagher. So he's not. So the detective is a guy, but Anna Hara very much is involved in this solving of this crime. So he's an outsider. He comes, he's left uh, his own life and his own career in Christchurch and has moved to this tiny little town where it's normally like someone has gotten drunk in public. Oh no. And like, that's the biggest thing he's got to deal with. But then a woman, a local woman goes missing in a way that feels very similar to the way that the hikers went missing when Anahara was a kid. And um, she knows this woman who's gone missing. And so Will starts to rely on her like knowledge of the local area, knowledge of the beaches and the cliffs, knowledge of the residents and their personal business to try to figure out what is going on and how this woman has gone missing in such a similar way to like a past crime. And of course, their relationship is 
well, I mean, the spoilers in your question. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I need to go any any farther than that. So that's A Madness of Sunshine by Nalini Singh. All right. Our last question is from Allison, who says, I really enjoyed the Cormoran Strike series, but I no longer want to support J.K. Rowling, and so I won't be continuing. I'm looking for a similar mystery or detective series to dive into, but I don't necessarily need there to be tens of books already out. I like the balance of character and plot in the Strike books, and I also really like the dynamic between Strike and Robin, although I don't need it to become... This is going to be a spoiler, so fast forward if you don't want to hear it. Okay. Although I don't need it to become romantic. I don't read a lot of mystery or detective novels, but I did read Maureen Johnson's Truly Devious series and I loved it. Okay, Rincy? So I went, I wanted to go a couple of different ways with this one, but I feel like because you said you don't read a lot of mystery or detective novels, there's a very good chance that you haven't picked up the series yet. But it's basically Tana French. You should read her Dublin Murder Squad series. So the first book in the series is called In the Woods, although there is like a little bit of a debate between like various ton of French fans about whether or not you should start with the first book. So uh, Jessica uh, Woodbury wrote a piece a couple of years ago, but it's still relevant about like where to start with the ton of French books. So I recommend checking that out because she basically breaks it down in terms of series order and then also gives her own order about like what she thinks is like the best reading order because the first book can be kind of divisive. But <laughs> but the reason why I wanted to recommend this is because I think that Tana French is kind of perfect for people who read a decent amount of like maybe like literary fiction or just contemporary fiction and don't mind slower pace character driven stories because that's very much what Tana French's books are. So the way the Dublin Murder Squad is set up, you are technically following a different detective in every series, but there's like overlap between all of the characters because it's all following different people who are part of this Dublin Murder Squad. And so the main character in any book has popped up in at least one previous book. So there's a plenty of overlap. And honestly, Tana French does such a great job of like developing her characters within a single book that you feel like you know them so well by the end of it. So these books are really dark. The first book in the series is following this uh, guy named Rob, who when he was younger, he was hanging out with his friends in the woods. And then he basically like blacks out and has no recollection of what happened. But his friends disappeared. And he was covered in blood. And he was like, you know, less than 10 years old when this happened. And so after that event occurred, his family decided to like pack up and leave Ireland. They think they moved to England. And he like grew up and lived the rest of his life there. And he eventually returned back to Ireland. And no one really knows that he has this past to him. And while he's working on the Dublin murder squad, he gets called to a case in these exact same woods that he was found in all those years ago. And there might also be another like missing child situation. And so he starts to wonder like whether or not this situation has anything to do with his own situation, because there are some like weird parallels going on. So yeah, I highly recommend the series. Katie and I scream about Tana French from the top of our lungs. She's definitely like one of our favorites, if not our favorite author in terms of like mysteries and things along those lines. And she's like perfect for people who enjoy character driven stuff. So there are, mm. I think, six or seven books out in the series now. She also has one standalone that's already out and another standalone that's coming out this fall. But I definitely recommend picking up the Dublin Murder Squad books first. And then you can check out her standalone stuff if you're interested. So again, Tana French, the first book is called In the Woods. And you can check that out if you want. All right. I picked the Betty Rysick series by Kathleen Kent. The first book is called The Dime. And before I get into this, I want to say 
I don't know that this needs a trigger warning, but I'm just going to like put it out there that this is a book about a police officer who likes to throw her weight around and like she's very tall. And so she kind of uses that to physically intimidate witnesses or suspects. And there's a lot of conversation about how she's different because she's a good cop, you know. And I, when the book was written in 2017, I'm sure that felt fine to the general reading public, but it does feel a little weird to read that right now. So like, if that's something that you are just not going to be able to stomach, maybe skip it or just like give it some time. But if you're okay with that, and you know, can recognize that it was written in 2017 and like not be bothered by it, then I would still recommend it because she doesn't assault anyone. Like, this is such a ridiculous caveat to have to make, right? Like, like she's a cop who doesn't assault anyone. So <laughs> yay, like ticker tape parade. Um, but there it is. So Betty is the main character. She is a redhead from Brooklyn who is very Polish. Like, there's a surprising amount of Polish spoken in the book. Um, and she moves from Brooklyn to Dallas, Texas after her uncle dies. And her uncle is like, her last living relative. She comes from a family of cops. Her dad was a cop. Brothers were cops. Uh, her uncle was a cop. And so her brother was kind of a failed cop. He was not a good one. And so when she becomes a police officer, she is very determined to like be a good cop. And her dad like resents her for it because she's girl. So whatever. So she moves to Dallas because of that, to get away from all of that, and also because her family is gone, and also because her girlfriend, whose name I can't remember, needs to move back to Dallas where she's from to be with her family because her mother is ill. So she moves to Dallas and gets kind of immediately involved in this like drug cartel, violence, weird religious case um, that gets weirder and weirder as it goes and it's so like it's just so strange when I started this but look when I started this book I was like this white girl is going to move to Dallas and start hunting some Mexican drug dealers and I'm going to hate this but that's not what happens like that is absolutely not what ends up happening like the villain is super super surprising to me but so the mystery is great but the reason I think why I act why I picked this for you is a Cormoran strike read uh, like free to like, I guess, is that Betty reminded me a lot of Cormoran. Like they're both really gruff and not super personable, but they're like porcupines, like very spiky on the outside, kind of squishy in the middle. And her relationship with her partner feels a little bit like Strike's relationship with Robin. It's not romantic at all because Betty is gay and her partner's a dude, but they have but her partner is like younger makes some kind of questionable romantic choices in his life. And Betty's very much like, Pat, Pat, you're a dingus, but I love you. Like that kind of thing, which is actually the opposite of Strike and Robin's relationship. Like that Pat, Pat kind of goes in the other direction there. But it felt pretty similar. And it's very character driven. Like this is very much about Betty's development as a person, how she overcomes trauma, both like from her childhood and her early years as a police officer and being like one of the only women in her job and the trauma she experiences in the book, which is something that I appreciated. Like the author does not let her become traumatized and then just leave her hanging. Like she has to actually kind of work through it and cope with it and move through it. There aren't a million books out. I think there are only two out right now, but the author is still actively writing them. So you should have more if you are into it. So that is the Betty Rysick series. And book one is called The Dime. And that is our show. Huzzah! Yay! Jazz fingers. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you for listening. Obviously, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where can the people find you, Rincy? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Rincy A. And we will be back next week with uh, with Jen. Jen will be back from vacation. So, all right. We'll talk to you later. 